Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, regular listeners. You may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Just don't touch my face. Who run this mother? Who run this mother? Who run this mother? Who run this mother? Hi everyone and welcome to Honey and Coat. I'm Sarit Packer. This series is called Who Run the World? And we're celebrating women in food. We're really excited to have Darina Allen with us tonight. She is the powerhouse behind Ballymaloo Cookery School. We've been there quite a few times, my husband and I. We always want to go back because it's the most amazing place. We don't want to go back. We, we want to live there, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to go back here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask Darina to, to describe it in a second. Uh, but Darina is kind of behind training so many chefs that work in the industry today. So many of our chefs along the years have come from Ballymaloo. It's a really inspiring and kind of beautiful place to learn how to cook in. We're so excited to have Darina here. We're going to be talking about women in food. We're going to be talking about her new book. And basically, we're just going to try and uh, get an invite to Ireland again. <laughs> so everyone help me in welcoming Darina. Thank you very much. Can you kind of describe Ballymaloo to us a bit? Oh, my goodness me. Well, we're right out in the country, out in East Cork, very close to the sea. The mother house, so to speak, is Ballymaloo House, which is a country house hotel, which was, I think, probably the first country house hotel in the British Isles. Maybe Sharrow Bay was about the same time. Uh, my father-in-law was a farmer and a horticulturalist and, and an agriculturalist. And uh, they had lived in this huge, big house. And any of you who live in huge, big houses, you know the dilemma of trying to keep the roof on it and so on. Uh, so when the children had all gone off to boarding school and uh, Martel, who couldn't, by the way, cook at all when they got married. My father-in-law was used to sort of joke that they learned a lot about each other on their honeymoon. Yeah. He learned she couldn't cook at all and she learned he played bridge a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so when they came home from their honeymoon, the story goes that Ivan 
showed Myrtle how to scramble eggs. And that was the beginning of it. So she went from there, literally, to, uh, you know, running a restaurant uh, eventually. And um, I know I'm not answering your question. <laughs> I suddenly realise I'm not answering the question. But giving you a little bit of background. And uh, Myrtle then knew that when the children came along, it was really important to feed them uh, nourishing, wholesome, delicious food to, st- you know, to help them not to get colds and flu and all that in the winter. Because at that stage, my mother was the same. She was really knew how important it was to feed us well. Um, Mark used to say that they were told to feed the children like fighting cocks, basically. Uh, but anyway, uh, then she opened a restaurant in Ballymaloo in um, this house that had already had 16 bedrooms in it in 1984, I think. And uh, she just fed the guests the same food as she fed her family. And they'd heard that children had heard a bit of chat about this. And eventually a letter came to boarding school saying, you know, we've opened the restaurant. And I remember Timmy, his now my husband, uh, said that they couldn't wait to get home for holidays because they thought their mother would be cooking proper restaurant food like mixed, gri- <laughs> mixed grills and steak and chips and everything. And they were disgusted <laughs> to find that she was feeding the guests exactly the same food as she fed them. But basically, Palimanu House is in the middle of a 400-acre uh, farm and they had a herd of Jersey cows. They made their own ice cream with beautiful Jersey cream. They had their own pigs, so really good pork. And of course, a two-acre walled garden. So all these beautiful vegetables and everything came up. And then we're very close to the sea. There's a little a fishing village called Ballycotton, very close to us. So Myrtle, when she opened the restaurant, you know, she had no training apart from what she'd learned over the years. And But she had beautiful produce always. So her food is very simple. She wrote the menu every day. And this was in 1964 when men were chefs and women certainly could get into the top kitchens. That was one of my problems. But you well, can... Well, because this is kind of the important oh, yes, part. Oh, yes, I know what I want to say about... you started yeah. in a kitchen, yes. isn't it? Exactly. So basically, she wrote the menu every day, depending on what was in the gardens and the, the greenhouses and so on. And then I came from hotel school in Dublin, having uh, been, again, at boarding school and my lovely Dominican nuns. <laughs> I was educated by Dominican nuns. And at that stage, in the early 60s, they were very visionary nuns and... Uh, they were very much encouraging us girls and it was all girls in my boarding school to have a proper career to do law medicine science or something like that and all I wanted to do was to cook that's all I knew anything about (laughs) or to garden because I'm the eldest of nine children and lived in a little tiny village in the middle of Ireland in Colhill and County Leash and we had a kitchen garden and we had a house cow a Kerry cow so we had our own lovely raw milk and chickens and eggs and lovely vegetable garden and everything Uh, my father was the the village merchant and my grandfather uh, I'm the daughter of a shopkeeper uh, was it Margaret Thatcher was the daughter of a shopkeeper I forget anyway it gives you a lot of skills basically because uh, you're running in and out of the shop you know at that stage uh, tea and sugar would come and tea used to come and teach us before any of you were born and and uh, and sugar came in sacks so you had to weigh up little bags of it and you know before I was eight or nine I was able to pull pints of Guinness and all of that so I learned all kinds of skills and then <laughs> exactly. you ended up in the kitchens yeah, so then I'd, I and so basically the nuns were this sort of not even subliminal message was well why would you want to do that my dear you're never going to need to cook or to grow or anything like that you know 
uh, why you know, you're going to be a career woman. Uh, so anyway, I insisted. So basically they said, well, it has to be a degree in horticulture or hotel management. So basically I opted for hotel management, eventually got into Carl Bruce Street in Dublin on the second count uh, because when I went along for, there was an entrance exam and for the first time ever, I saw an IQ test. Uh, and basically there's a technique in doing an IQ test. I don't know whether you, all the rest of you know that or not. You probably would have known it, but I didn't, had no idea how to put all those little triangles into, into circles and all that. And I didn't, so as a result, they put a line through my thing, but somebody dropped out and I got in. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and that's it. So anyway, then at the end of that course, there was another dilemma then. So uh, I couldn't get into a top restaurant. You know, men were chefs and women just ran tea shops or something. And so and the, the sort of job that my classmates had close to the end of the course, I was virtually the only person who still hadn't got a job, and uh, was to be assistant manager in the, the Gresham or in the Russell or Shelburne or something. Sometimes you never know what it is in your life that can change the course of the rest of your life. And for me, it was close to the end of the course, one of the senior lecturers met me in the corridor and asked why I hadn't got a job, considering everybody else had. And I told her that I wanted to learn how to cook more. Somehow I had this fixation about homemade ice cream. And so uh, <laughs> she said to me, funny, I, we had, I had dinner the other night with a friend and they were talking about this woman down in Cork who uh, they've opened a restaurant in their own house. You know, it's out in a farm, right out in the country. And she writes the menu every day, uh, depending on what they have in the garden. This was now, by the way, all in incredulous tones, you know. I mean, why would you? I mean, when restaurants opened at that time, they wrote the menu as the same 10 years later. So the whole idea of actually writing a menu every day was considered to be incredibly amateurish. So anyway, and they, she said, well, now that you think of it, they have they make their own ice cream and they have a two-acre walled garden, you know, and greenhouses and all that sort of thing. And I couldn't believe my ears. It was like, it was like Santa Claus ticking all the boxes. And, but she couldn't remember her name. Uh, so <laughs> she said, look, I'll go back to my friend. And she came back a few days later and she, with, a, with a piece of paper and she handed it to me. She said, that's the name of the woman, write to her. And the name on the piece of paper was Myrtle Allen, who within a year and a half became my mother-in-law. So I, beca- <laughs> I became the member of the family by the simple expedient of marrying the boss's son (laughs) that's how you do it so that's it yeah and then we went on to have four children and then eventually we started a cooking school on a second farm which we were very fortunate we inherited a lovely house and a hundred acre farm around it about two miles from Bamboo House with the the horticultural unit on it because my husband was a horticulturalist and then that was fine we employed about a hundred people and everything and then the late 70s some of you may remember there was another big recession at that time there was the oil crisis 25% inflation We'd just gone into the EU. There was uh, the whole supermarkets to come on stream. And then there was this cheap food policy started to kick in. Labour costs started to rise very significantly at that time too. More and more, we were getting less and less for our produce every time uh, we took it. And then this... You know, we were concerned, but we thought maybe that was just a blip. But then at that stage, we had four kids. Um, and I, oh, by the way, I left a little bit out. When I was at uh, boarding school, I had no ambition whatsoever to be 
a businesswoman or an entrepreneur, any of those kind of things. I'd never heard the word entrepreneur. I just wanted to find a nice chap, really, preferably with a, <laughs> uh, preferably with a bit of money. And, you know, then I'd have a few cute kids and I'd pick my nails and we'd go on picnics and all of that. So I had absolutely <laughs> no ambition whatsoever. Uh, She's 19 to... books in. Like, <laughs> performances no, but club, like, this is true. I'm, not, I'm absolutely, I had, I'm really, this is absolutely true. So then there was this like crisis, you know. So what would we we do because we were seriously looking at losing the roof over our heads actually so then somebody said forget about the wholesalers you know go to the supermarkets they're the new thing so we got a contract with the one of the big supermarket chains in Ireland which shall be nameless because they're still very successful supermarkets in Ireland for apples and we you know would very carefully grade the apples and Timmy would head off in the morning at half six or something to take them into, the, into Cork and then somehow or other we never seemed to get paid for what was said on the contract and then very often something would come back because they found a bruise on something even though we were very careful we were very high standard anyway this went on for a bit so eventually uh, Timmy I remember we had this lovely moment every day the kids would, I'd have put, since got the kids off to school and he'd have gone to Cork early and he'd come back and we'd have breakfast together and we used to look forward to that every day and I remember one day he came home from Cork came in through the kitchen door looking even more despondent than usual and he said I don't care if I have to crawl on my knees I'm not doing that again we have to find a different way to earn a living I often joke that he put me out to work but <laughs> but it wasn't quite like that because we had to think what the dickens can we do oh yeah I started the farm shop maybe that was the first farm shop in Ireland I think actually loved that we did that for a couple of years but we never made enough money to justify the work that went into it then we I tidied out a few extra bedrooms in the bundled the children all into one bedroom and then <laughs> and then we'd I'd, I'd take overflow from Ballymaloo uh, in, t- uh, in the summer you know that was great because you got 4.50 a night for that but then anyway after that uh, we my we decided the thing was to I see I'd been helping Myrtle my mother-in-law to actually she would decide in the winter to try and fill some of the bedrooms of Ballymaloo in the quiet time uh, so basically uh, I would help her with those. And she was always, you know, she'd say, what do you think, Doreen, and so on. And then uh, she decided, so people loved those and would come back every year from Cork. They would come out in their lovely BMWs, little fur jackets, and we'd hide our rusty Renault 4L around the back. And uh, But anyway, uh, then she, if you don't mind, uh, decided to open a restaurant in Paris. It was called La Ferme Londres yes. uh, as a shop window for Irish food because we had lots of French visitors to Bamaloo. They loved the food at Ballymaloo and they loved the salmon and they loved of the Bramley apples and all of that. She headed off to open a restaurant in Paris at a time in Ireland when we had such an inferiority complex about our food. But Myrtle knew the quality of the produce we had and really, really believed it. So off she headed to Paris, opened a restaurant. We needed the desperately needed the money. So people kept asking for the cooking classes and Myrtle said, well, why don't you go ahead and do them? And I thought, well, nobody knows me. Nobody will come to me. And I then- love the way that you behave as if everything is kind of happened to you but, but it did just, just happen to me well no no she it is did just happen to me nothing just happens to the arena <laughs> no but it's like totally true that did happen and but we needed the money i tell you what desperation is a brilliant thing yeah you know if your back is to the wall it's amazing what you can do and i really say that the school was born out of desperation actually out of a, having to find a different way to earn a living so anyway that we i started doing little courses on a on a saturday morning and then um, a friend of mine said, look, why don't you open a residential cooking school? There's no residential cooking school in Ireland. Some people are going to the Cordon Bleu in London or Paris. You're in the middle of a farm and all of this, all that lovely produce. Maybe some people might come. The, the main focus or the main thing that we 
we're so impressed by is this kind of aspect that everything is about produce. And if you have mm. good produce, everything else that you do is amazing, mm. which is why I want you to read that little piece. And then oh, we're going to talk a bit about... Did you, did Good. You lose it? <laughs> I'm just trying to. No, I didn't lose it, but this book was published in 2013, actually. It's called uh, 30 Years at Valley. Your, your ethos on produce is very much stayed <laughs> the same. I yeah, think. but I was, it's so long since I've looked at the <laughs> intro. But so, anyway, over the past few years, I've become more and more concerned about the quality of the food we eat. Food is the fuel for our bodies. If you don't put good petrol in the tank, the car won't perform properly. It's ironic that so many of us care for our cars and motorbikes much better than ourselves. We wouldn't dream of putting inferior oil or petrol in them. Yet we shovel any kind of old rubbish into our bodies and then wonder why we're low in energy, sluggish or lacking concentration. For most people, the only criterion when choosing food is price. Never before have we spent so small a percentage of our income on food. The truth is that very few people connect the food they eat with how they feel. If we did, we would make it a greater priority. I and I haven't really changed ago, my mind. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's... You know, I can take the book from you. Yeah. But I think that's so true and so amazing. And I think that people leave with that understanding exactly. that if yeah. you cook good food and you take care of yourself and your body, then everything, you know everything around hopefully matches into that. Well, now a lot of particularly young people know much more about the lives of celebrities than Mm -hmm. they know about how their food is produced. But uh, you're right when they, you know, I have three months to actually indoctrinate them. uh, (laughs) But actually, in a way, it's not just a cooking school. It's also a a way of life, an introduction to a particular way of life. And I'm always encouraging them to, to try and grow something themselves as well. Or else if they're starting a restaurant to try and build up a network of small producers and farmers that they buy from because then you know where a lot of the food comes from and I know we're out in the country but you can do that anywhere really Um, at the moment I think on the 55 people on the payroll at the cooking school on a 100 acre organic farm and that's definitely a record because most farmers sort of talk about how few people they have to employ everything is mechanised but actually do you know something we're delighted to be able to create Employment. We live in a tiny country village and it's, it makes a big difference to our local community. It's a really vibrant, rocking area. Hey, the other thing is we have so many romances. <laughs> I think we're better than Tinder any day. <laughs> no, but probably, I mean, only about three weeks ago, this is like the third student that's brought their girlfriend that they met at Ballymaloo back to Ballymaloo oh, to actually so nice. propose. And fortunately, they all said yes. <laughs> so that was good. But the way to everybody's heart is still through their tummies. Yeah, yeah, still for food. If we, yeah. Because we're focusing very much on women, do you... Uh-huh. A lot of women work at the school? Oh, yes. Well, at one stage, I had predominantly women. We have a few more chaps and everything now. So we have one teacher with every six students, actually. Probably the highest teacher-student ratio of any cooking school. A lot of the time it's 1 to 15 or 1 to 20 or something. I don't know how they do it. Uh, Our thing is very intensive. It's like gastro boot camp. (laughs) But they absolutely love it. I mean, there are students in at like 6 in the morning going into the bread shed to make totally natural sourdough that's fermented for 48 hours. They're out in the fermentation shed. They're down, they go down to the dairy to milk the cows. That's all extracurricular stuff, by the way. So that's, they choose to do, do these extra things as well. Otherwise, they would be they come in at the latest at 8 30 in the morning and then they finish about six in the evening then sometimes there be, might be charcuterie or butchery or something uh, in the evening afterwards so they really work hard and they love it 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And on the very first morning, actually, on the three-month course, first thing I do is introduce them to the gardeners and to, to the farm manager. And I say to them often, if I can get a bunch of carrots or beet or something, I say to them, look, that you know, look at this bunch of carrots. It took Eileen three months to grow those carrots, and don't you dare boil the hell out of them when you get them into the kitchen. <laughs> and uh, then we go down through the farm and gardens, past the hens and the pigs and the cattle and all the rest of it, through the herb garden. We have a lovely formal herb garden, and then down to the greenhouses. And the first thing I show them how to do is how to sow a seed, and then they plant a plant into the ground. It depends on the time of the year. It could be a sweet corn um, on the last term, or it could be a lettuce or something, and then. They they plant that into the ground. It's like kindergarten. They get a little lollipop stick. They put their name on it. They watch that growing for the next 12 weeks. And the penny drops about how long it takes for something to grow. If we have some big crisis, you can't just spirit stuff onto the supermarket shelves. If you grow something yourself and you wait for it to grow into something, you'll never complain about the price of food again. Mm-hmm. You won't want to waste a single scrap. This is another really important lesson. This was always the way my generation were. You know, waste wasn't an option. I mean, you just... So that it also makes them want to use every part of the beetroot, every part of the carrot, and they want to hug every farmer they see. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, and I'm always looking out for strong farmers with combine harvesters for my, for my students <laughs> and to keep life in the country and all of that as well. Because <laughs> I love the country. I love living in the country. I feel very fortunate to live on a farm. Yeah. It's a very lovely place. Yeah. Do you think the world of food for women is changing? 
really had just changed so much from the time, as I mentioned earlier, where I literally could not, it can't, nobody would even think about letting a woman into a kitchen. Uh, that was in the late 60s to the now where, of course, there are fortunately more women in restaurant kitchens. You know, we've made a lot of progress, but there's still much to be done still. Also, that, that whole Me Too movement there last year, that was actually, sadly, was very timely because basically there was never in Ballymaloo because my mother-in-law was always, she didn't even call herself head chef, but there was always and still is a, a lovely atmosphere in that kitchen of encouragement and support. But there was a really not good kitchen culture in many kitchens and you know people were told to suck it up it's just kitchen culture nowadays it's no longer it is no longer acceptable and that's a, that's that's good progress yeah. and then it makes it easier for women to be in restaurant kitchens as well mm. for sure yeah um i cooked tonight from your new book one pot feeds all <laughs> uh what did i cook i cooked a really really lovely uh, giant uh, couscous salad with carrots and cranberries and cashew nuts and Lots of really good things. It's really delicious. And actually, as I was starting to cook it, I was thinking that for me, giant couscous is kind of like a comfort food when I was a kid. But this takes it to a completely different level, which is really nice. I couldn't stop eating it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good sign. (laughs) Uh, And then a nice big tray bake. The, the fun thing is, this is easy. This is quite... I know you're going to chide me about this again, but I feel I've been so fortunate in so many ways because... All I could do, really, and wanted to do was to cook. And as something that the nuns, the, the very strong message from the nuns, not even subliminal message was, look, concentrate on academic skills, on the STEM subjects, as they call them now, science and things. You're never going to need to be able to cook. But that, with that one skill of being able to cook and so on, I've had the best fun. I've had, you know, so many opportunities to do television and books and all sorts of things. And also I get to teach people how to cook every day and you know I can see your eyes glazing over and thinking well hey how about that for excitement but for uh, but I you know I could be teaching algebra or geometry or something and I mean very important but basically it's not like teaching somebody how to make a loaf of bread or a bowl of soup or something you're giving somebody it's like giving a people a gift for life actually or giving them a skill that they can you know go on and earn their living from so I feel so fortunate to be found something where I I love going out to work every day and I only have to go across my yard literally uh, from the house over to the cooking school. It's about, I, it's about three minutes to work. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have found a way uh, eventually to find a, to earn a living on the farm that we love and the, and the land that we love. But basically this book, and as you say, it's my 19th book. I, we've been doing a One Pot Wonders course at the cooking school for the last maybe eight or nine years. And it's always, absolutely always full. Anyway, and in the meantime, people just get busy and busier. So I dedicated this book, One Pot Feeds All, which has been bubbling away in my subconscious for several years now, to all the heroic young people who are dashing home from work, you know, every evening, battling through the traffic and, you know, picking up the kids in the creche and dashing into the supermarket trying to get a few ingredients and desperately still wanting to cook something delicious for supper. And how you guys keep all the balls in the air, I'm just 
in awe. So I, that book is dedicated. If any, if that's ringing bells with anybody, it's dedicated to you. So I'm hoping that, you know, everything in the book can be cooked in one pot, one roasting tin, one baking tray. So I'm hoping that this book is a little part of the solution for yeah. uh, uh, some people at, at least. It's lovely because you, you do go kind of across the globe a bit and give it a <laughs> lot of different flavors, but how to do it quickly and at home. Yes. Yeah. Is- well, with my, you see, with my cooking, I've also had the opportunity to travel all over the world and food is my subject so everywhere I go it's research how about that we like that <laughs> don't we <laughs> we're going to thank Darina so much for a lovely conversation <laughs> that interview was part of our series Who Run the World celebrating women in food thanks to our guest Darina Allen Thank you also to all the incredible women of Honey & Co, especially Louisa Cornford, she helps us with everything podcast, and to Miranda Hinckley, the producer. Drop us an email with your thoughts, feedbacks, questions. You can email us at podcast at honeyandco.co.uk or you can find us on social media at Honey & Co. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get the rest of the series. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.